Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. It's great to have you with me, particularly during this coronavirus time. I know we're facing some hardship. I know as I'm speaking, people are dying in the world. I grieve that. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for what you're going through. But I want to tell you, we will get through this. And we can, if we go through it the right way, be better people on the other side. So let's make that determination that we are going to emerge from this pandemic a better people, the people we're made to be. I want to talk to you in this podcast about what's coming. This is not a podcast that's about financial prognostication or analysis of markets or future trends, but I do want to talk to you for just a bit uh, about what is coming and what's likely to be coming in our society. I think it will help us lead well, it will help us prepare, and it will help us understand our times, which is a lot of what this podcast is about. I'll have to say, first of all, that one of the things that we are definitely going to be dealing with is what I call a new federalism. This coronavirus situation is accentuating not only the limitations of federal government, but also the varied needs of the states, that the a one-size-fits-all policy, either at the federal level or assumed amongst the states, does not suit well, does not answer the crises, does not deal with what we're facing. Let me give you an example. As I sit here right now, and I'm recording on the 13th of April, uh, 2020, so the day after Easter, uh, New York has had just north of 7,000 deaths. Horrible, horrible. You've seen probably the images of mass graves being dug by by big machinery um, because, frankly, the funeral homes were just overwhelmed. Uh, Their hospitals were overwhelmed. Um, It's been a tough situation. There's been a lot of grief. It's been ground zero for the worst part of it in the world, actually, of any city. And we've now had over 7,000 deaths there. Sad situation, which we're going to have to continue to try to solve. And then, then in the future, look back and face and say, how can we prevent that kind of thing from happening again? But as I record this, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. So uh, Nashville and and the state of Tennessee has a whole different situation. Uh, Tennessee is a state of just over five and a half million people, but it only is reporting at this point 5,000 infections. And we've only had, that's as of uh, yesterday, I'll say as of Easter Sunday, since I'm recording in the morning here, I don't want to make the statement um, that I know the number of deaths for today. But as of Easter Sunday, we had only had 101 deaths. And frankly, given the way coronavirus deaths are uh, evaluated, that if you have coronavirus uh, in your system but die of something else, that they have to list it as a coronavirus death, probably less than 100 people have died of coronavirus itself in the state of Tennessee. So just ponder that for a moment. Um, Only five and a half million people, not one of our biggest states, only about five and a half thousand infections probably right at 100 or less than 100 actual deaths. 
And again, some of those deaths might be from other things. So clearly the needs of New York are different from the needs of Tennessee. And as we go forward in not only managing this crisis as it dwindles down a bit more, but might return, um, but we look at other issues in our national life, um, it's important that we ponder the needs of the different states. Now, I'm not anti-federal government. Uh, I, I'm not a hyper-libertarian. I'm certainly not an anarchist. Um, but I do believe in the federalism vision of the founding fathers, that you should have a limited state, I'm sorry, federal government, that devoted itself to certain purposes, did certain things that needed to be done by the combination of the states, meaning the nation, but then that you left as much governance as possible to the localities where needs could be tailored to suit people uh, and suit challenges. And that's what we're going to find in the days that are coming. We're going to find that the needs of Nashville, Tennessee are different from the needs of New York. We're going to find that the needs of Washington, D.C. are different from the needs of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we're going to just simply find that there are variations. And uh, it's not engaging in any kind of bigotry or racism or anything else to say that different regions, different ethnicities, uh, different situations geographically require different responses. For example, and I mean absolutely no bigotry in saying this, it's obvious that in some of the parts of the country with higher Asian, uh, mainly Chinese populations that you had a higher rate. It's because it probably this disease probably came from China. Nobody's fault. Nobody's blaming them. It could have been any kind of people. It could have been Native Americans. It could have been males versus females, all kinds of possibilities. It just so happens uh, that you've had a higher rate from with where, where you have a higher concentration of people from an Asian background. Well, that's that's how that goes. And, and, and that's absolutely nothing of bigotry or racism should be taken from that. But you do have to take that into account uh, in, in responding to medical situations. That's why, by the way, you give your ethnicity on a hospital entrance form or a medical form because ethnicity, age, etc., cetera, uh, do play into what kind of medical care uh, you ought to get uh, for situations that that are unique to you. We're learning, for example, that African-American populations are suffering much more from coronavirus. Why is that? Well, I'm not qualified to speak. Is it because of pre-existing conditions? Is it because of certain kind of medical uh, challenges that beset the African-American community? I don't know, but we dang sure should find out. And we'll have to tailor responses based on where there are high concentrations of African-Americans. If we're going to help them, we got to know where they are and tailor social policies accordingly. So this, all of this kind of thinking is going to uh, feed into a response to this situation. And I think it's going to focus on, require us to think in terms of a new kind of federalism. It's going to require us to think in terms of how we respond at the most local level to make a difference. Who knew, for example, that New Orleans of all places uh, would be a hot spot for coronavirus? Is it because they went ahead and had Mardi Gras? I don't know. But we should know before we consider this case closed and before we consider that we've got all the solutions that we need. Now, another thing that's going to happen, we're going to continue to call our uh, medical providers heroes and we should i celebrate them we're grateful for every doctor every nurse every technician every specialist every ambulance ambulance driver and we should celebrate them thank god for them at the same time we're going to have to ask some tough questions what caused us to be unprepared for this kind of crisis what caused our leaders who give kind of guidance uh, to the medical community and then the medical community of course gives guidance back to our political leaders what caused them not to pay attention to medical information coming out of 
of China. We now know that there were alerts in the president's daily briefing and other place, other intelligence sources as early as last uh, December, and some predicted it long before. Uh, so why weren't we ready? Why don't we have that kind of medical care? In fact, most of the quarantining that's had to go on in our country uh, is not primarily about preventing deaths because most people will get this thing and they will emerge just fine. Uh, it was really about medical sequencing, as they call it. It was about trying to slow the progress of it so our medical facilities would not be overwhelmed. And some of that was true and some of that was valid. And some of it wasn't. Uh, just the other day, a friend of mine who is a uh, high-ranking MD at the Vanderbilt Hospital here locally, about a mile from where I'm sitting, uh, said they only have about 200 patients at the great, big, huge Vanderbilt Medical Facility. Um, so they, in order to prepare for the coronavirus, they asked people not to come in for optional kinds of medical care. Uh, they told some patients to stay at home. They'd see them later. Um, but they were preparing for a big surge of coronavirus patients. You may know because it's a very famous picture that was circulated nationally um, that they actually converted a parking garage uh, into a facility to help care for coronavirus patients. This is all good, wise medical care. So far, they haven't needed any of it. And at this point, as I sit here on the day after Easter 2020, um, we are supposed to be in the surge. Now, what that means for Tennessee, I don't know. Um, but the fact is that only about 200 patients are in the hospital. And it's very likely, folks are saying, uh, even Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, others uh, who were in charge of a lot of these official predictions, say that these numbers are going to be drastically reduced. In fact, the head of the CDC this past week, the Centers for Disease Control, uh, said that he was having to drastically revise his estimates downward. Now, none, nothing that I'm saying is intended to say they were lying or this was the deep state or they're all trying to embarrass Trump or whatever. It just means we weren't prepared. We didn't know. And so we've got to ask the tough questions because we want those on the front lines for us medically to be prepared, to not have to be wrapping themselves, if this story was true, in trash bags, uh, to not have to be buying ventilators with their own money, et cetera, et cetera, sort of all the horror stories that you've heard. We're now seeing this thing start to dim a bit. We're seeing the numbers come down. We think we can get on top of it. We're likely to emerge well, but we don't want to walk away from this just wiping our foreheads and saying, shoo, thank Thankfully, that's over. We want to learn what went wrong, and some things went wrong. There's a third thing I want to mention, and that is that we're going to have to, we, those of us who are uh, in, in religions of different kinds, and I realize I've got people of every different religion listening to this podcast, and I'm thrilled for you to be here, um, but we are going to have to reconsider and look at uh, what the religious issues were. Uh, you know, I have to tell you honestly, as an evangelical myself, that evangelicals have been targeted during this time. I can't believe the articles in the Washington Post um, basically blaming evangelicals for advising Trump wrongly, blaming evangelicals for insisting on meeting in church gatherings when they were told not to, uh, blaming evangelicals as one ridiculous Washington Post article even contends that it was the evangelical version of masculinity that contributed to this thing. Now, you've heard me say this many times before. I think some of the evangelicals around Trump are very unwise. Uh, the elevator doesn't always go to the top, and I wish they'd be far more cautious than they are. But I will tell you that the majority of religious people in general, and certainly the majority of evangelicals, are law-abiding, uh, good 
benevolent, generous people who are seeking to make a difference in this situation. Most of the churches I know by far have closed down, are obeying the state, went quickly online, and in many cases continued to reach out, keep their food pantries open, keep their feeding programs open keep their Isaiah 58 type programs going forward. For those of you who know what that, what that means, what that chapter of the Bible is about. It's all about ministering to the poor. And so let me assure you, I'm in regular contact with a lot of huge pastors of huge churches around this country. All of those churches kept their feeding programs open, their dormitories open for the poor, etc. Uh, they continued to make a difference while, by the way, they went online with their services and most of them saw at least some reduction in giving, as is natural when you have a situation like this. So I think the wrong people are being hammered. But this is, by the way, a tactic, and I've mentioned this before, that's been used all throughout history. You have a natural national disaster at whatever level, economic, plague, whatever, you blame it on a target people. You blame it on a people you want to subjugate. So even, even publications as eminent as the New York Times and the Washington Post have had articles essentially blaming evangelicals for this. It's a targeting of a certain class of people. We're going to have to reconsider that. Uh, we're going to have to consider what was said, what was happening. We're going to have to revisit some of the loss of civil liberties. Now, let me not, I'm not saying that I think churches should have met when states were asking them not to. I've urged exactly the opposite as much as I could. However, Gov uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York saying that he would permanently shut down churches that insisted on meeting. And I say again, you know, find them, close them down. The pastor resists or gets violent or something, put him in jail. Uh, we, we believe in the rule of law. Every evangelical I know believes in the rule of law. But, but Mayor de Blasio, you can't go targeting churches. You can't say you're going to close them down. You don't have that authority. And so the loss of civil liberties. In fact, I have a dear friend who has a, uh, leads a church and has a massive parking lot. And so he decided to have church uh, in this massive parking lot, basically a drive-in church. Well, that does not uh, violate the quarantining requests or standards of his state government. Not at all. Everybody would be far away. I think they were even going to skip a parking space between each car because this parking lot was so massive and they were going to build a big stage and they'd have like one guitarist and the pastor and people could get out and go to church and breathe some fresh air and wave to their friends um, and enjoy uh, a powerful time of church. And do you know that the uh, the, the governor of that state targeted this pastor. Uh, police showed up. It's not the one, by the way, that you've maybe seen in social media. Pretty stunning when he was doing nothing but trying to continue to reach people during that time, not resisting. And he'd even ask permission of the local authorities. Okay, my point is not to gripe. I'm not gunning for anybody. Everybody's a little off balance. Everybody's made some mistakes. But you don't want to target a certain class religiously. And we're going to have to look at that and reconsider. Now, I think we're heading into a time of patchwork. I think we'll have some states tight, other states not. I think we'll have some industries doing well, others not. Clearly, some industries are really going to do well. Amazon recently uh, dropped its delivery system from within its company and is now going to rely on other companies for delivery because it knows it's about to be uh, that, that online shopping uh, is going to dramatically increase as people stay home and maybe improve their homes and shelter in a little bit more. It's becoming part of our culture, not just a response to a crisis. So some industries are going to do well. Some are going to be more challenged. Um, the economy is going to be a bit bumpy, uh, but we're going to get through this. We're going to get to the other side. 
things are going to go well. But as we go forward, prepare for things not to return to normal. Everybody wants to get back to normal. Well, it was the normal that didn't serve us well. So we don't want to get back to normal. We want to get back to peaceful. Uh, We want to get back to healthy. But we want to ask some tough questions about the relationship between state and federal government, about the way our medical community is structured in this world, uh, about some of the religious assaults and questions that have happened. We want to ask the tough questions and we want to emerge the people we are made to be. We're going to get through this. We're going to come out on the other side. But if we endure hardship as discipline and if we learn the lessons we need to learn, we can rise to be the people we're called to be. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.